thought I'd have to have to tell as well that this, the Ellery name in our in our family particularly has a little bit of you know significance too because we were you know uh, I'm only 28 but when we were younger you were you know pr- pretty pretty pom- prominent back in the time and we had um, V8 Supercars two on the PlayStation two and <laughs> um, and amongst the um, amongst the the boys that liked Fords it was always between the Steve Ellery Super Cheap Auto Falcon yeah. the Beat and the um, David Besnard FPV because they were the best looking cars. So um, <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's a little bit of of, um, of of respect that's been you know har- we've been harbouring for twenty odd years. <laughs> I look back and people say, oh, "What's your claim to fame?" And it's like, "Oh, I was on a video game." <laughs> yeah, that's, it. that's exactly right. Even more so than the career in in motorsport. Is that what you go to? Yeah, unfortunately, that game was 20 odd years ago, like you say, and no one plays it anymore. People might still drag it out. I don't know. <laughs> it's, in- it's an interesting thing. Was it? Like, I think supercars in and of itself could probably do with another video game. Yeah, um, just to just to keep you know building the the audience and things like that. But it's, you know, yep. something that obviously hasn't happened. You know, people might not be willing to to fork out the money to, to buy a license. But I think it's definitely something that's missing in the market, particularly in Australia. Yeah. I agree. And I think supercars, is, um, it's taken off globally. Um, like it's got a lot of interest now. Yeah. So, yeah, in my opinion, it would definitely work. But I don't understand all the intricacies of um, how to go about making games and all that, so I don't get it. So, like you say, it's obviously some sort of licensing and things like that issue and... There's a reason why they're not, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it, I, I thought that would, I thought it would just continue when they started it. So yeah, yeah, and it seemed and it was pretty popular. Like it seemed they had three games and they all you know seemed to sell pretty well. I mean, amongst even yeah. my friends, everyone seemed to have it on the yeah. Xbox or the PlayStation. So it was, I think it's a shame, but um, I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot of those you know indie car and a lot of those smaller categories, British touring cars all starting to get video games again. So maybe that's that's something yeah. for, for Supercast. Yeah, oh, it was um it was Corso who made the game. Oh, sorry, I'm opening Corso Utility Engine. <laughs> it was um it was uh, Codemasters and they were doing Race Driver. And so the reason why it was such an easy thing to do in Australia is because they were making like 80 odd um, different category like of motorsport and selling it around the world. So like ev- that's why everything was in it. That's why like NASCAR's in it. That's why DTM was in it. Oh, uh, I like, see. Yeah, so they would rip, in Australia it was branded as V8 Supercars, but it was actually yep. Race Driver. It was just yep. like the subtext name is V8 Supercars. But yeah. uh, and they would rebrand it all around the world differently. So in America it would be like, uh, I don't know whether they called it NASCAR, but they called it something Stock Cars. In uh, Germany they sold it as DTM. Yeah. Um, yeah, that so makes, all that sort of stuff. It yeah. makes a lot of sense because there was a lot of different categories in the game now that you say that, right? There was a lot yeah, of... Yeah, um, and tracks all over the world too. We yeah, just never played it. Like, I think like the first VA supercars that even opened with like a oval um, cinematic, if I remember correctly, of like some kid watching Rocking his dad him. die at yeah at a NASCAR race or something like that, and then he was a race car driver, and you were playing as him, and he was American. Oh, that's racing true. supercars. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Really cool yeah. games. The the third one was awesome. I loved the third one racing at uh, the Indy, the Gold Coast Six. Well, yeah. now Gold Coast Six Hundred, the yeah. old track there. The old track was unreal. Yeah, such a cool, such a cool game. It was unreal. I was watching Albert Park the other day. I was actually jealous. I was like, you know, that's one of my favourite tracks to drive around. I love Albert Park. Yeah. Uh, But that old indie track was um, something else that was unreal. 
they they need to go back to that old to that old layout because I was watching it wasn't the um, supercars race, but I was actually watching an old IndyCar race there. And at that that back section, they're just missing a little bit too much there now. Um, yeah. What did you make of the new Albert Park layout though? Um, oh, well, I wasn't there, but on TV it looked pretty good to me. Um, like um, seeing people on Facebook and they're talking about being down on that. I think it's turn nine chicane. Mm. Um, they reckon the cars were just coming so fast. Yeah. Um, and it's good because, you know, I think they were hitting 320, the Formula One cars or something like that. It's pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was that one pass when Perez went, I think it was around Hamilton. And they, he, I thought he had the DRS. He went around him so easily. Yeah. And then um, someone was in our chat and they said, nah, he, DRS wasn't even activated then. And I was like, yeah. no way. Like, that's probably one. Um, sort of example of how good that new section was just for the um the overtaking. Yeah, but I think it also shows how bad that Mercedes engine is right now. Like it's significantly <laughs> Yeah, well, it's got the downforce issue that they're losing speed with. Mm. I'm not sure if it's actually the engine or if it's downforce. It's that's something. Something's upsetting the car. But it's Tristan's well. He's waiting to be accepted. He's waiting to be accepted. I've, I've, yeah, I've just added him in now. Hey, how are we all? Hey, go, mate. Thanks, mate. How are you going? Thanks for joining us. Good. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Is my sound coming through all good? Very yeah, well. Coming through fine. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So we've, got, uh, we've got we've got simulators and trophies, trophies <laughs> and helmets, china and helmets, drum <laughs> set. And what are you going to put in there? I've just got a blurry background. <laughs> I like it. If I went from blurry, it would actually have my um my clothes rack behind me so i think i'll keep it blurry yeah fair <laughs> enough all right let's begin let's start proper boys so we've got the um the ellery racing team the ellery family on tonight so boys thanks for for jumping on to have a chat with us um we always appreciate it when we've got you know races on racing families uh, that we get to have a chance to talk to so thanks for you know making the time on your monday night to to sit around and shoot shoot it with us ah thanks for having us honestly um we're really happy to be on board. Awesome. Um, so like I was saying before to, to Steve, we kind of saw, I, I kind of just stumbled across you guys on, on social media um, with the launch of Ellery Racing Team. So, I mean, something seemed to work. I mean, you're, you're getting exposure in that regard, which is, which is really good. But I thought there would be a really interesting conversation to be had, obviously, about, you know, you young guys trying to make it you know, up the categories, you know, and to make a career as a racer, but then obviously to also get the insight and the experience from from Steve, who's been there, who's done that, who's your father, um, and kind of see the juxtapositions between what the what the you know the motorsport journey was like twenty years or so ago um, and what it's like now. Um, so I hope we can have a really good you know discussion about about what that looks like. But just to just to kick things off, we'll start pretty easy. Uh, we'll go around the room. What are your earliest motorsport memories? Who do you want think... to start? Dad, I reckon. <laughs> We're just going yeah, we'll age. Go <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, uh, no one wants to jump in. I'll jump in. Um, obviously, watching Dad um, race around the supercar circuit, we were, my brother and I we were both um, you know, babies, so... Uh, it was pretty cool to be a part of. We eventually got to grow up into go-karts. Um, we had, I think, 15 or 16 years in carts and, and decided to make the jump across the cars. So for Dalton and I, that's been sort of our journey. We've raced across the national circuit since we were 
I think pretty much eight years old in go-karts. So yep. it's been um, a really cool journey. And obviously getting to watch that, you know, race race cars at some of the coolest locations and some of the coolest cars in the country. So how much of, how much of, of your dad's um, career do you remember? Like, do you have, you know, memories that you can kind of, you know, think about? Was it, was it something that was really visceral for you or you were still too young to really understand I, the gravity of it? Yeah, I always remember Bathurst being um, pretty pivotal in my mind, especially when, uh, you know, towards the later stages of Dad's career, we were a bit older and appreciated it a bit more. But, you know, I, um, I always remember the parade laps, you know, doing that around Bathurst. I think we did it around uh, Australian Grand Prix a few times as well. So, you know, just being around that environment was always pretty cool to be a part of. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, we were young, so I probably took it. For, I didn't take it for granted as enough, I should say, but it was a really cool um, childhood to grow up in, yeah. And, and what about from your um, perspective, Steve, having two obviously you know young boys that you could take to the races with you to share those experiences with you, did you kind of, at the time, did you, you know, realise the significance that it would have on their life? Um, I guess when you, when you look at motorsport, um, it seems to become a bit of a family affair. I think it's one of those things that when it's in your blood, um, it stays in. But, you know, my wife and I, Kerry, we, we we had our kids young. So I was about 21, I think, um, when when Dalton was born. And it was only 15, 15 months later when Tristan was born. So I actually remember her um, having two babies on the plane, bringing them to a race once on her own. So um, they, were, they were at the track. From when they were babies so there, there's parts of that that they wouldn't remember um but there's a lot of parts that they wouldn't there's a lot of we've got a lot of photos there's there's a lot of video there's a lot of things that we've got that are great memories of those days as well but i think it's just one of those things once you're at the track um the kids see what you do i think they're inspired by it and it's just ever since they were young it's always been something that they've wanted to do so yeah um, definitely, um, they they got the bug from then. Yeah, absolutely. If you were taking them to the track as as babies, mate, they would have thought that's just normal life. That's why they <laughs> want to do it. Pretty much. Yeah. What about you, Delton? Same as Tristan. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, we were reminiscing about this just on the weekend past, actually, because uh, the Formula One was on in Melbourne and. Um, and yeah, some of the earliest memories I remember, I, it, my birthday weekend used to be on the same weekend as the Grand Prix was on. So I'm born at the start of March and it used to be at the start of March. And um, I used to always have my birthday there. And I remember like that particularly because I remember walking across the, the racetrack to go and watch dad and you'd hear the bloody V10s off the, those F1 cars going howling down the streets and all the <laughs> echoes resonating down. It was the most incredible thing. And I'm glad that I've got that memory like, because that sound is just something that you can just never replicate. And that, I think, honestly, thinking back, that's probably my earliest memory of motorsport. I don't know how old I would have been, no clue. But uh, that was the one thing that stuck with me forever is just the sound of those cars and not even being able to see them, but just walking across the road to the racetrack from the hotel to the racetrack and, and just hearing that sound and just the echo through the streets of Melbourne, and just how yeah. it bounces back in the reverb. It was just incredible. It makes me excited just thinking about it. And yeah. yeah. I knew then that, man, I want to I race cars one day. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I, was, I was having that conversation literally on Friday um, with someone at work because I just had the, the practice on on, the, on a side screen while I was at work and someone kind of said, you know, what's so, what's so special about like the Formula One? 
and there was another person there that had been to the F1 in the past as well. And I said, when you walk to the track, whether it's Friday or Saturday, Sunday, and they've got just even just the the demo car going around doing laps, that whole, mm-hmm. you know, echo and reverb that you oh. hear through the city, it just sends a shiver down your spine. And even now I was, you know, just thinking about it and it just kind of takes you straight back to that place. So it definitely yeah. is a really special memory and one that's, that's hard to forget. Um, but Steve, I'll come back to you. So you hear a lot of these um, current racing drivers, you know, Mark Winnerbottom comes to mind and, and um, David Reynolds also talking about how expensive motorsport is and how they would hope that their their kids find a, a cheaper sport <laughs> to invest their time into. Um, but was that just never the option for you, um, just based on obviously your passion and, and the kids just being pretty much indoctrinated into it? That's a, that's a funny story. Um, Dalton asked me, oh, I don't know, I, I, look, I can't say when he first spoke, but pretty much when he could talk, I want a go-kart for my birthday. Yeah. And I said, well, you can't, mate. I said, um, in Australia, you can't start racing until you're seven. So that's, look, I think it was about four years away or something. So um, <laughs> um, I guess my plan was by the time he was seven, he will have got that out of his system and he won't want the go-kart. Um, well, I think every birthday he asked me. <laughs> so that was just natural um and we ended up buying the go-kart and took him out there and he just was oozing talent pretty much straight away. So, yeah, look, motorsports are very expensive um, um, hobby, pastime, job, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it does cost a lot of money to do it. Um, and that's just a fact. Um, so, yeah, like Dave Reynolds and those guys saying that they hope that their kids find something like maybe, maybe go and buy a tennis racket or something and push the kids into tennis or something. But... I'm afraid to say it. it's just like like Dalton had said and Tristan, you know, growing up at the track, it just it gets in your blood. You, you only have to look at Jet Johnson and Nash Morris and um, even Steve Johnson and Steve Richards and, you know, the list goes on, you know, all sons. That's yeah. just natural. <laughs> That's the yeah. way it is. So what, what I could say to those boys is just get ready and, and get your checkbooks out. <laughs> <laughs> Start saving their pennies early. <laughs> but, but with that being said, obviously, um, the, the two young fellas moving into the motorsport career, there's, there's obviously a, a reality to, to the sport as well. And, and as you progress up, it does get more difficult with things like that. Is there like a, um, a contingency plan, um, in you know Dalton and Tristan's minds, you can probably speak to this. Um, if the if the if the racing career just comes to a natural end, or if you can't move any further in the career, is there like do you guys have like a a second option that you're working on that you've kind of studied for, or that you're even considering, or is it all racing? Yeah, um, I mean, I personally, I, I went to uni. I went the uni pathway as well, um, so I got my criminology degree. That was great, but I actually never used that. Um, I've been in and out of hospitality. I recently just got out of that and started focusing on my career and I'm now doing logistics for a big tire distribution company. So that's sort of like my plan B, my backup in terms of, um, what, you know, I can do just in case this doesn't work. Cause I think in, um, in every professional, you know, um, scenario, you need to have a plan B cause you know, things can go wrong at any moment. So it's really important to have that. What about yourself, Dalton? Is that kind of the same same for you? Uh, yes and no. Um, at the moment, I'm actually not working. So yeah. um, I think like in the current 
sort of uh, how much racing I've sort of undertaken. Uh, yeah. It's just quite hard to find a job with someone else yeah. um, when so much time is going away racing or, you know, preparing to go racing or, you know, practicing. Mm. It's a, it's one of those things that you just require a lot of time. So, yeah. But in terms of what like happens if racing comes to a, um, a stop, I actually spoke to Tim Slade, uh, it would have been a year or two ago now. I don't know how long ago. And, um, and at the time he had lost his drive and he was just talking about how much, you know, he went to a racetrack and took advantage of the situation and, and enjoyed his, his experience and rather than just focusing so much on, on like the competitive side, everybody's competitive, but he, him and I spoke and he was basically just telling me how like, you know, you just got to enjoy yourself. And so mm-hmm. that's something that I actually really did think about. And it's something that I, I take with me now everywhere I go is, um, is enjoy yourself. Like mm-hmm. just, Take it for what it is because it isn't forever. It's never going to be forever. No one races till they, you know, get bloody 80 years old. You know, some people do, uh, but not at like a high level. So, and, you know, it is expensive and it's not getting cheaper. And so, you know, it could, it could end tomorrow. Who knows? Like who knows what, what happens tomorrow? Um, And so, yeah, it's just one of those things where you just got to go away and you've sort of just got to take it for what it is. Enjoy it with who you're there with. Like I get to race and go away racing with my family who have done it before get to enjoy those experiences, have someone who's been there, done that mentor me my whole life. Uh, you know, I've got Ralph Bellamy as a, as an engineer and like learning from him and talking to him is just the most enjoyable experience. Like the knowledge that he passes down and what we talk about and how he explains things. It's, it's invaluable and it's a, it's a life experience. And it's something that is just, no matter what happens tomorrow, I will take with me every, forever, wherever I go. And mm. yeah, it's just, a, it's great to be doing it. Honestly, it's just, yeah, it's good. What's can you probably speak to this as well, Steve? What skills, particularly when you obviously have to go racing, and there is, you know, there's the reality of of constraints that you're obviously put within as pressures, etc. What skills from a racing career are transferable to any other industry that you move into? That's, oh, look, just about everything. Um, look, the driver, the, the way I've always looked at being a driver is that, um, you know, at the end of the day. You're the one that goes and straps yourself into the car. Um, so you're the one that's on the line. Um, everyone else that works for you, they, they're with that as well. But So it's your responsibility to make sure that everything on the car's done, everything's right, and you're, you're comfortable to go and strap yourself into it without any issues of anything going on in the background. So, you know, I think you're across, you're across every facet of the race team because you just have to be. Yeah. And I think I think when you're moving the business life, like now, now I run the family business, Chelgrove, um, and I've been doing that for six years. Um, what what I learn in motorsports invaluable, and and the other part about being a race car driver is is you have to learn to think fast, think on the spot, and drop negative stuff straight away. So and that could be a mistake, you know, you, you might make a mistake into a corner, and at a track like Bathurst, the next corner is coming up very fast. And you can't dwell dwell on that mistake. So you've got to you've got to have the ability to be able to drop it, move on, concentrate on the next scenario, and then you'll get to a point where you get to the straight and you can go to yourself, okay, what happened on that corner? And so you know, it definitely helps you with with thinking on your feet. Um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Um, there's there's definitely a process um, like proactivity. Yeah, yeah, and and being proactive. Um, absolutely. 
Um, and it certainly, certainly teaches you that. I might add to that if I can. Um, you know, I think with the sport, like the way that it is, everything happens so fast, like Dad said. Um, you know, I've played rugby, basketball, whatever else, done athletics, all that. But in my opinion, the most competitive sport and most competitive environment I've ever been around is motorsport, motor racing. Um, and because everything's happening so fast, you got, you know, you're looking for micro tents in, in some cases to try and find a better time. And in my opinion, there's no, no other sport quite like it um, in terms of, you know, how quick you have to be on your feet and um, your responsiveness to, you know, some serious situations that might be happening. Um, you know, I, I don't probably think about that as much when I'm working and whatnot, um, like what has motor racing taught me, but it's definitely taught me a lot of, uh, you know, lifelong lessons in terms of, um, you know, networking, um, shaking the right hands, always being polite and respectful to other people, um, you know, because you're always, you're always on show and, and that's, you know, echoed throughout your professional working life as well. So motorsport's definitely been, you know, instrumental in teaching me some of those um, behavioural characteristics as well. If I can add to it as well, like um, when, when, when both Dalton and Tristan and myself started in go-karting as a young kid, um, one thing that happens at a go-kart track is you could be seven or eight years old, but, but your engineer or the guy working off, or, or your mechanic working on your go-karts could be 40, 50, 60, 30, 20. And so you learn, you learn as a young kid to have relationships with people of different age groups. Um, you know, the one common aspect that we all have is we all love racing. Yeah. Um, we, we come from a variety of different backgrounds and, and not, not many of us are the same people, um, but we all get along because we have this common goal and, and you learn that respect to different age groups as a young kid. I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah 100%. With the, with the go-karting, it's obviously, I mean, the, the reality is, that, I mean, I do a bit of go-karting as well and you've got these kids that are, that are racing, but they're really racing in a man's sport and everything around them is, is, you know, uber professional, even from a, from a fairly young age, but something that I thought was pretty interesting. And, you know, you'll, you'll be at the, at the track on maybe a Saturday practicing and you start talking to a parent or a father whose kids racing in the Australian karting championship. And every father's more than happy to tell you how good their son is, how good they are competing against some well-known names and how they could be even better if they had the same scenario as some of those races, um, you know, of sons who have done this or, you know, everybody's got a story and you kind of just nod and agree and, and then walk away and say, <laughs> you know, you just think to yourself, okay, maybe it's not that easy. But from your point of view, there's obviously, I think there can be a misconception that, you know, X races kids have it easy moving up the ranks um, but a lot of people don't realise the effort that it took, number one, for the racer to get to where they were and then obviously to do it again with their kids. Can you guys, like, speak to that? Have you had any scenarios or, um, you know, issues where you've obviously had to deal with with the just the expectation of, of being the son of someone well-known um, and going into their industry? Mm, yeah, well, for me, when I was growing up in karting, I felt that I was the victim a lot to people targeting me because, you know, dad was a supercar racer. Um, 
you know, I grew up in a time like Aaron Seaton raced as well. Um, a few of the other guys that had, you know, dads that raced supercars as well. So, you know, I've always felt like we were the same sort of profile in terms of um, we had a big target on our back. Um, but at the same time, we had a really, you know, um, what well, I'm trying to think of the right word, you know, a really knowledgeable and experienced guy in my dad who's been there, done that, and... I know I probably didn't when I was younger, um, but when he spoke, I tried to listen. But, I mean, like I said, the more I matured, the more I grew up, the more I started to understand that, you know, hey, this game's pretty difficult. Dad might know a thing or two, and whenever he opens his mouth, just shut your mouth and listen. <laughs> um, and I can see Dad laughing, but, um, you know, when you're young, you think you know everything. And um, I don't know, it's a tough game. It's really tough. Uh, you, like I said before, you're, you're looking in most instances for a tenth, which is less than a blink of an eye. So, you know, trying to close that gap to some of the good guys in front of you can be pretty hard, especially because you're an Ellery and everyone mm. wants to beat you up on track. They don't want, you know, you to have it easy. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think I didn't have it easy in karting. I had, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got beaten up probably more than most. I did probably my fair share of beating up too and, you know, ending up on the sidelines going like, why me? But, um, you know, the more you mature, the more, the less you put yourself into positions where you can be targeted. Yeah. Really interesting. So I don't yeah. know if you guys um if if you guys have thought about this as well. One thing that we've well I've sort of picked up with all you young fellas we've spoke to when coming through racing is that you guys speak like with a maturity well beyond your years. I don't know if it's if you guys notice because you're always surrounded by people sort of in in this game and like you you know from a young age that racing is expensive you know that you need to have good connections you know it's like probably of all the sports to do it's it really is probably the biggest team effort in terms of the people who you don't actually see doing so much work for you um i don't know if you guys have no if you guys even noticed because everyone in your position is probably the same way but from like an outside looking in it, it always well i think for myself like because i i see these see you guys and I'm like, man, I wish I was that mature when I was like, like spoke that well when I was 21, like showed that like sort of um, presence of mind and, and, and foresight that we hear you guys speak with. Like it really is like testament to you guys. But do you guys notice that with the um, sort of group that you're in? Uh, yeah, I mean, thank you for that, first of all. Um, That's all right. I, um, yeah, I mean, I think in some aspects, because we have so much, I suppose, attention on us, I wouldn't say we mature quicker, but I think we understand the game a bit more. Um, like I said before, you know, it's it's all about networking. It's about who you know. It's meeting the right people, shaking the right hands. And, and you know, if you're, I guess, carrying on like a spoiled brat in front of all those people or in front of the, the, the cameras, um, you know, that you're not going to get anywhere. And you're never going to get anywhere in life doing that either. Um, you know, you just got to handle yourself with maturity and professionalism, especially if you want to attract the big sponsors. Um, I think that all plays a big part in it, you know, and, and dad, I'm sure has got some stories of, you know, being pulled into line and told, this is how you're going to make it in cars. And this is how you're not. Yeah. What are some of those stories, Steve? <laughs> how, about, how about the earring? The earring. Yeah, the earring. He always tells me that he, he turned up, oh, I think it was a form of awards or something and he had an yeah. earring, you know, something like a punk <laughs> earring. It was what was in apparently back in the eighties and, and uh, yeah. somebody who came over and told him, if you ever want to make it as a race car driver, you take that bloody thing out right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, um, 
I think times have changed though because oh, Chas yeah. Mostert's rocking up with blue hair these days. Mm. So, I mean, anything's possible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, he is also Chas Mostert. I don't think uh, Tristan Allen can get away with that. But um... He didn't have it when he started, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I was a little bit rebellious as a young kid, I have to say. Um, you know, it was a stage I went through where I wore all black and um, I had the big cross hanging out of here. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing and what I thought. Um, but I actually drove Formula Ford. I moved to, to a team in Sydney called Phoenix Motorsport under um, uh, Mike Quinn. It was um, um, at the time running that team. And it was him um, that said to my parents, um, um, I'm going to get Steve one night when he's asleep and I'm taking that bloody thing out of his ear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, eventually it, it wore on me and I ended up taking yep. it out. And I think from that moment onwards, um, things definitely started to get better for me. I started to see that there was an image and, um, you know, there was a way to present yourself. And, you know, I had to get a lot of media training and things back in the day too, but, um, you know, I was just quite fortunate but that I that I actually listened, yeah. <laughs> took advice <laughs> and, um, and started to work on myself and my attitude as well, I have to say. I, I was a pre pretty fiery young fella. I reckon you could bring that cross uh, earring back to Bathurst. If we win, I'll go and stab Bring it, it for the podium. Just to elaborate on that as well, I think like something that a lot of people don't really notice is that it is a sport. And um, I think like a lot of people seem to forget that. Like, yeah, there's a certain entertainment aspect to it, but I think there's a lot of people out there that, that cop a lot of criticism for the things that they do and the things that they say, especially when they're in the moment. And I think that they forget that it is a sport and it is competitive and they are there to win that sport. A lot of people, I'd say like the 99.9% .9 of people that go racing, they don't do it to become famous. They don't do it to end up on TV or have their name on a magazine or anything like that. They do it because they want to go and win championships, trophies. There's a competitive nature to people. And when they get into that bug of motor racing, that's what they want. That's, that's only one thing that they go there to do. They wouldn't go there to come second. Um, and so, yeah, when you get like that second thing on it, it can be really difficult and i think like it's just something that you sort of learn with time and with experiences and you know there's a, a certain times where you make mistakes and all that and you have to just learn from it really isn't it so yeah it's 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 difficult but definitely just, yeah. maybe so, you could sort of answer this one then steve how hard is it um when you have had a bad weekend but you do have like um like media commitments and because in some ways you're a driver but then also when you're not driving, you sort of become like an ambassador for your sponsor or even just like a little bit of a walking billboard for your sponsors. Like they want to, they still want you to go to functions. And, you know, like you said before, you have to drop your, your sort of, um, if you're feeling bad after a bad race, you have to drop that quick and be laughing and smiling and, you know, giving people sort of the, the best version of you. How hard is that to sort of turn on off and on or do you get better of that um, with time and practice? I got really good at it with time and practice. Yeah. Um, look, that's really difficult. That's really difficult um, at times because um, thing, things happen and you, you're not always the happiest version of yourself at a racetrack. Uh, you, can, you can sometimes wish that you were anywhere else but there. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the truth is you're not, you're not there if your sponsors aren't, aren't on board with you. True. Uh, and so... You know, you've got to turn up. There's just, there's no other way of saying it. 
Yeah. And it's, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't go and plaster on a fake smile and, um, you know, get through the night. You genuinely go there because um, these people are your, your biggest support base and, and they're there to support you. And so you've got to go there and support them as well. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, and I, I always think back about this, is we used to get, we used to get a little bit caught up in the, you know, people that ask, you know, oh, you've qualified 22nd, how, how do you think you're going to go tomorrow? Oh, you know, I still think we've got the car that can win it. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, I think, you know, hindsight says to you, oh, I, I think we've got a car that might be able to get us towards the top 10 or something like that. But, um, you know, every, like, like, like Dalton just pointed to, everyone wants to win. And you look at my stats and look, I had a great career and I had some podiums at Bathurst and Sandown and things. Um, but my career was spent, um, like you said, most days, you know, you question yourself. Your, your, your confidence does get, get belted. You, you have hard days. Um, but like I say, at the end of the day, with your sponsors, and let's look at that. Like I had a sponsor, Konica, who I had for, for right. many years. And I had a fantastic relationship with those guys. And there was never a time when I went, went to a function or anything with those guys where I, where I didn't want to be there. Um, maybe, maybe personally, you'd probably prefer to be back in your room in the quiet where no one's asking you questions about your day. But it's important that they know what's going on. It's important that they see what's going on with you. And it's important that you show some of that passion. Yeah, I think it's a good thing as well when, sorry, interrupt. Um, I think it's a good thing as well in those situations where you do talk about, you know, even if you had a bad day, you sort of get it out. It's a way of expressing yourself. I know when I was down at Tasmania, we had an absolute shocking day on the Friday and um, I was asked some questions that afternoon and it was, it was actually felt better getting it out of your system and talking about it, like, you know, and having that sort of positive outlook because you sort of, in a way, you're sort of, when a camera's in front of you, you've got to be positive. If you're negative, yeah. it's not a good look. So um when you look at it from a different perspective and you get that out it actually can be a really like reinventing thing for you and you actually do feel better about yourself and you a little bit more confidence too so in that sense i think it's a positive as well it's like race car confession yeah Just exactly. get it out straight away yeah <laughs> even like from a personal view i mean i dabble in a bit of just social go-karting and club days and things like that and you can have an absolute shocker of a day i mean every race something happens or you screw up yourself you know, a hundred times, but you know, at the end of the day, yeah, you're, you're frustrated. Yeah. You're upset. But the reality is like, even though it's the worst day, there's one thing that you can kind of um, cling towards, whether it's a PB or whether it's a, a pass that you made really well, you know, those days, like you're doing what you love, like you're racing, you're happy just to be out there at the track. And even on the worst day, normally there's something that you can kind of latch towards, latch onto and say, you know, that was something that, you know, I can I can build from moving forward. So it's not always um, just the doom and gloom of the result that we see. But um, what I wanted to kind of move into now was a little bit of the production car side of of Ellery Racing and kind of you've got the Bathurst six hour coming up this week, and I'm yeah. a relative noob to production car racing. So I just had a, a few questions to obviously ask you guys. But but just to begin with, obviously, I don't know how long Ellery Racing has formally been in existence for i've seen that socials come up obviously more recent times but what's the goal of of the team is it obviously to provide a, a platform for you guys to to go racing and move up the ranks is it a platform 
you know, for you as a family to, you know, enjoy the experience of racing together. Um, so can you just elaborate on on how you guys see the team and, and, and obviously um, its relationship to the family? Who wants yeah, to go first? I, yeah, well, um, it started out as Allery Brothers Racing because at the time Dalton and I were originally going to just be racing. Um, and, you know, when Dad came on board, it couldn't be Ellery Brothers Racing because it just didn't make any sense. You know, you can't be Ellery Brothers and background, you know, but... Um, Could have been Ellery and Sons, though. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit of everything, to be completely honest. Everything you just said, you know, in terms of um, it's a it's a chance to get our Ellery name back in the motorsport uh, where it belongs. You know, like we said, Dad had an illustrious career in supercars and, and motorsport in general. And, um, you know, the Ellery name deserves to be among some of the greatest because we think that's where it belongs. Um, it's a chance to grow as a family. It's a chance to grow, you know, individually as well in terms of, um, you know, I guess our, our, our growth on social media and that. Um, it's a chance to not only showcase to everyone what we can do, but also to give back to our fans who support us, our family, our friends, everyone who's, you know, tuning in on a race weekend, um, keeping them up to date and, you know, I guess at the end of the day, we go racing to win, but we also go racing because we love it and we know that other people love it and we make them happy when we do it too. So we get to share our journey of winning and losing as a family with the world, I guess. I particularly have enjoyed, I mean, you've started doing the vlogs on YouTube. Um, yeah. So there was, a, there was a vlogs of, of the Phillip Island round in Trans Am. And I think any like they're really good, like they're short, um, you get a bit of in-car footage in and obviously the review after the race. But I think for fans, any chance they get to kind of go behind the scenes and put a face to the name or to kind of feel a little bit more invested in the team, it's always a good thing. So from that point of view, um, and I wrote a note here that your socials, like you've really done a good job kind of connecting with, with your fans and, you know, everything that you're doing, even the promotional video that you guys put together with the production coming, everything is, it, you know, from a fan's point of view, it gets you excited for the team. It gets you excited for the things that you're doing. So like I'd never had any interest in following the Bathurst six hour before purely out mm. of ignorance, like no, like not because I wasn't interested, but just out of ignorance, but I kind of saw um, your, your social page and, you know, I was kind of realized that you guys were going to be racing in the event. And every time, you know, an uh, article comes up on motorsport.com, about the Bath the Six Hours, you know, there's a lot more interest on, you know, taking the time to read them and stuff like that. And that's purely from that promotional video that you put together. So True. there's some something is working. Uh, and oh, I, cool. I think you guys I should be commended like, for um, that. I think to answer your question as well about the production car and what the idea was for that, at the time, we weren't doing any racing. So I stopped karting in 2017, halfway through a season. I was just burnt out, honestly. I was mm. over it. Um, karting's changed a lot through the years. I'm not going to go on a rant about it, but it's it's it wasn't the same as what it was years before um and honestly just yeah took a four-year break of motor racing and my granddad came to me one day bruce and he said to me um do you want to go out to norwell and have a have a go in a 86 out there i'm like yeah bloody oath all right no worries hmm. it was a rusty day but that was the worst decision i think he's ever made in his life <laughs> let's put it that way <laughs> yeah and then um yeah, we went and had a go on an Exxon, my brother and I, at the start of 2020 before yeah. all this other crazy stuff happened. Um, mm. uh, and then that didn't work out very well. We weren't really big fans of uh, of that. So 
uh, we've known Beric as a family for years. Uh, Steve has, Bruce has, um, and yeah, that was a, it was a no-brainer to go through them if we were going to go on production cars. We were pointed in that direction uh, by the guys out at Norwell, and um, yeah, the, we went out for a test day out at Morgan Park in the M3, and honestly, that was the most <laughs> impressive, the most impressive day. I I didn't think that those cars were that quick. We fell um, in love. Yeah, I. I've got the picture of it right here on my side screen. You might be able to see the back yeah. of it. But um, honestly, never it blew me away because I never realized that those cars were that quick. And like you're doing 280 down Conrod, like uh, on, on on tires that are basically rocks so hard. It's it's, it's a yeah. they're weapons. They are really yeah. quick. And um, and yeah, now that I'm doing TA2, I get asked a lot, like, uh, am I done with production cars? Am, am I going to go back to it or? Or is it just going to be TA2? What's going to happen next year? And honestly, I love the M3. And if it was up to me, I would never get out of it. I can't wait to be back into it again next oh, week. When we when we did the test day out at QR a few weeks ago, I honestly didn't sleep the night before. I was so, so excited to get back in that car. It is the most enjoyable thing to drive. It is so much fun. They are, especially on the MRF, they are genuinely exciting and fun to drive. They are supremely challenging on that tire. But yeah. it is it is... The best fun you'll have. Like they are so, think, so good. I think um, Dad regrets answering um, Beric's call in regards <laughs> to hey, do your boys want to come and do the test drive in the BMW out of Morgan Park? Because uh, realistically, that's what got us here. You know, we were we yeah. sort of saw XLs as sort of a step a pathway out of go karts, um, but XLs wasn't for us because of the environment that we were in. Mm. So Dalton and I, we were pretty content to probably be done with karting or be done with racing, I should say, sorry. Mm. Um, and if it wasn't for Beric throwing us that lifeline, um, we wouldn't be having the sort of, you know, lifestyle that we're having right now. We get to go race at Bathurst this weekend um, with, you know, in my point of view, with my dad and my brother. My dad and pop are going to be there. They're going to be watching us on the um, on the balcony of their probably suite <laughs> at um, at the ridges, ridges there. That's it. Yeah, they're going to be having a great time. Um, yeah. You know, we got a lot of supporters that are behind us this weekend, and and this is just sort of the life that we never really expected. But you know, we're not we're not looking to get rid of it anytime soon. We love we love the production car racing. We love the opportunity to go racing around Bathurst. And we. We love being able to go racing as a family. And, and like I said before, that the coolest part about it all is, you know, yeah, okay, everyone wants to go and win, but we get to win and lose doing that with Ellery, Ellery, Ellery on the window, which I think yeah. is by far the coolest part of, of it all. And it's a lifelong dream for Dad. Um, he's always spoken about doing um, some sort of endurance race with, you know, my brother and I um, and having the opportunity to do that sort of seemed a little bit grim, but production cars allows that to happen in the Bathurst six hour and uh, in the Australian production cars championship this year as well, they're going a bit more endurance based. So gives us all an opportunity to race as a family and, you know, do what we really set out to do. And, and that's exactly that. Here's um, a question I've got for you about racing as a family um, yep. just quickly. So, how competitive are you guys like in between each other? Because we did a 24 hour go-kart race and um, like, as a family, so was, there was five of us or six of us, but five brothers. And we have one brother who's like a firecracker and he was going out in the third last stint and he, 
And what was he? Oh, that's right. He didn't, he didn't want to fill. He didn't want to fill, want to fill the fuel. tank because he wanted oh, to get the fastest lap of the day. So oh, we filled no up plan. the tank. Yeah, we filled up the tank, and he did his stint. And then I went out, and by the time I got off, came back in, he was gone because he had done his last stint, and he had the shits that we um <laughs> that we were sabotaging his lap times. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I was after oh. like twenty-two hours, and, oh. and then um. Then this week he was saying to us, man, I love that 24-hour race we did. We said, dude, you only did 22 hours, then you bug it off. So like, <laughs> I didn't even save the checker flag. No, nah, he didn't even save the checker oh. flag. And we came second because there was only two carts in our division. But like how are you, yeah, nah. so how are you guys um, going to be in terms of like a family unit? Are you going to be competitive going for the fastest time between each other yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, we're always pretty competitive. Um, between the three of us, we all actually used to race each other in go-karts in a class called Open Performance. Um, okay. So we all had the high-performance go-karts with the gearbox carts. And, um, and I used to beat them all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he woke up. <laughs> no, we're pretty competitive. Um, Dalton and I, obviously, being a similar age, we grew up doing the same things. Um, you know, it's pretty cool as well to have a, a dad that's young enough to be able to you know, grow up with us, I guess. Mm. Um, so like I said, you know, Dalton and I grew up playing uh, rugby and basketball sometimes, and obviously the go-karts were always there. So we were always relatively in the same classes because we were the same age. Mm. So, um, I mean, look, he had a better karting lifestyle, life than me. He beat me a lot more than um, I beat him, but we were so competitive. I, he was always the guy in front of me that I wanted to beat. And you'd think that we'd want to, use, you know, work together and, be a team and try and beat the rest of them but for us i think it just mattered about us beating each other <laughs> that's awesome please before bragging rights yeah bragging rights <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. but we're exactly. triplets so we, we understand the um, triplets the, bloody yeah, triplets. hell we understand the whole um competitive dynamic of we've got nothing on you guys we've got nothing on you guys so we used to race like bmx and that was competitive and then um well, Joe and I did go-karts for a bit before he he dropped out and like everything has always been competitive where it's soccer, yeah. scoring goals, it's, it's kind of the whole thing. But obviously I've got a few questions about production cars, but before I go into that, I'm going to open what seems to be a pretty sore wound because it just All seems right. too good to let go of. But I mean, there's a lot of anyone that's in karting knows the issues, like there's a love for it, but there's obviously issues with it as well. So without giving you too much post-traumatic stress, by the time that you guys started feeling that burnout from the sport, you know, what were the, what were some of the contributing factors to that? Can I, can I quickly preface as well? Like I, we did cutting, I did cutting for a year and did it for two years. And I knew there was a problem when I got accepted into some cutting forum. And after like a week, I just started seeing threads of arguments about different tires, different, like, uh, what are they called? The, the, the um, jets for the engines. Yeah, um, and I was like, and I, was, I remember saying to Anthony, no wonder why it's so hard to get into this sport because we got in like by ourselves just looking through shit yeah. and there was so much stuff to filter through. And then when we got there, we're like, this is the top of the mountain. And then we just see people fighting it. I'm like, man, this is insane. So now take the floor. <laughs> it's like I said, it's a competitive game. So every single person in that field, whether you've got, you know, $5,000 to spend or $500,000 to spend, everybody wants to win. Um, the teams with the bigger budgets, you know, they and the kids, I guess, that are homeschooled, they don't have to worry about work or school or homework or anything. All they get to do is just go go-karting all day, every day. And their, their tyre budgets are more than 
what our yearly budget was for three three go karts. Um, so to be competitive in that field is is really tough when you get you know five or six of those guys doing like you know doing that. It makes it really difficult to compete. And for Dalton and I, who are super competitive, we didn't really want to go away racing to know that we we're going to finish twelfth. Um, that's just not how we like to go racing. Um, and to be able to, you know, narrow that gap to the front, we have to go and commit as much as they all are, which in my opinion, just wasn't possible at the time. Um, that is a big issue with it. Um, so sorry, as much as, yeah, I was just going to say, were you guys doing like Australian karting championship just as without a team, just as yourselves? At the time, we were competing in the Rotax Pro Tour. The Pro Tour actually did die for a few years. Um, IKD, it's a huge political thing, and it depends on how you want to look at it, but IKD were pushed out. Um, the Protax Pro Tour was a phenomenally successful category mm-hmm. that ran for years and years, uh, and they did the greatest, one of the best, probably the best event I've ever been to in my life in motor racing, which was uh, mm-hmm. the World Championships over in Spain when Dad competed there in 2014. Um, and... It was just a phenomenal class. It was phenomenally run. You just turn up, race. Uh, it was really well done. But um, over the years, people were taking it more and more and more seriously. And as Tristan sort of uh, elaborated on just then was people were going testing two, two, three weekends in a row before the race meeting. And they would be down there for that many times. They'd throw that many sets of tires at the thing that you just get down there and you're on the back foot. Mm. Um, regardless of whether you're on the pace, which most of the time we were on the pace still, mm. Um, you would never be able to keep up because you've got to worry about things like tire deg and they've always got the setup and they always know what the tires are going to do and yeah. where the where the surface is going to turn to and what's going to happen to the track because they've done that many laps around there. And it was persistent wherever you went. And it's it and it does happen in other forms of motorsport. Um, when we were down on Phillip Island, the, the Gary Rogers team went down and tested, I think a weekend or two before uh, the ARG round. Um and straight out the box, all, all of those guys were blisteringly quick, absolutely flying. And so it doesn't really matter what form of motorsport you, you look at. It happens in everything. But I think at the time, karting had sort of served its, served its purpose for us. And, I, and it's not an open wound, like, like you said. It, I, I have no regrets about what we did in karting and how we went about it and how it ended. Like, if anything, I'm, I'm really happy that the events took place because it's where I am right now. And... Yeah. And we have so many great memories of karting too. So many going away, racing together, having our pit crew and having nights together and going out to, you know, we used to share around at the start of the year in um, Todd Road in Melbourne, in the centre of Melbourne. And the Australian Open was on at the same time. We have so many memories of great nights out watching tennis, going to the racetrack the next day. We, we had so many good times. that it, it's, it's, it's really fun. But we look back on it often and... Yeah, and at, at some point for us, karting changed. And um, yeah. and I think it's all about where you are in your life. A lot of people don't see it that way, and that's fine. Everybody's got different perspectives and different um, experiences which lead them to, to do what they do and why they do it. I think for us, it just changed. So I'd like to say that karting is a fitting ground. Let's not, let's not ever get that wrong. No. It, your chances of making it in motorsport, if that's where you want to be, would be very slim if you if you don't go down the karting route. It's it's yeah. very rare that someone makes it that didn't go karting. And so, I love karting. Karting's great. Let, let's, I do too. Let, 
like the politics of the sport we got involved in because we'd been in it for so long. And I think, like like boys are saying, in hindsight, we probably stayed just a little bit too long. Uh, maybe a couple, two or three years too long or something. Uh, we maybe should have looked at going somewhere else into a, a high on XL or a production car or something like that then. Um, but then, then there's timing, there's want, there's attitude, there's everything that comes with that. So, you know, some kids move out of karting when they're 14 or 15 and apply for CAMS licence, sorry, Motorsport Australia licence. Um, like I think Chaz Mostert was one of those guys. I remember um, writing a reference for him to get his licence. Um, you know, some kids are that good that it's just time to move on early. And, you know, you look at kids like um, Ricardo and Piastri and, you know, their names that people know, um, they, they, they've come through karting and they were fantastic go-karters as well. Um, so, you know, karting's a fantastic sport. Let's let's not get that wrong. That's a fantastic sport. You can go to, you can go club racing and you can go and do it for fun and you can do that on a budget. Mm. Uh, but like, like you said earlier, you sit on the side of the track and you talk to that dad that's like, oh, yeah, and then, you know, if we had that cart and that engine, well, that's the seed, isn't it? The seed's been planted. Mm. So it's yeah. up to where you go from there. And, and, and if you want to go to the next level, the top level of karting in Australia is one of the best levels. Oh, in the yeah. World. 100%. 100%. But it's expensive. It's not cheap. So, you know, you just have to have that in mind. I it's mean, physical. I think every single time, every time I go back into a go-kart, I get out and I'm like, I forgot how physical it was. And I think I've done that. I, it's probably a record. I, if I had a dollar for every time I've said that, it is supremely physical. Like you pull G-forces, you feel every single bump, no suspension, no power steering. Every single thing that goes into that go-kart comes through your body. You feel every sensation. Yeah. And it, it is a seriously challenging thing. And the one thing that, in my opinion, karting teachers better than any, anything else you'll ever get in a car, doesn't matter whether it's Formula Fords or XLs, is racecraft. And mm -hmm. the awareness that you get for people around you and how to race close. Because if you bump tires and those things, nine times out of 10, someone goes on the helmet. So yeah. <laughs> it, it is, it's such a respect uh, sport. You have to have respect for next to you. And it teaches you just the most important thing about motor racing. And I, and I think that, that there's a lot of people who make that mistake as well. I think a lot of people make the mistake of jumping into cars and thinking that they'll be able to figure out how to race. And, and like they they miss it they they miss the point and uh, yeah. I think that karting is just absolutely invaluable no matter what level you are at for teaching you about that sort of awareness mm. that knowledge. I mean, you look at some of the guys that personally like I grew up racing against Dalton as well. Dalton had like the Chas Mostert of the sport, and you know I grew up with like Will Brown and the Kostecki boys, and I could go on and on and on. Like the list is longer than my arm. Some of the guys have done incredible things in motorsport. Dad's the same. He grew, up, he grew up racing against uh, Craig Lounce. You know, Craig Lounce, Richards. Uh, I, I don't really know. I wasn't around. But, you know, some of the names that you're looking at in terms of um, some of the greatest, you know, athletes in, in Australian motorsport over the last 30, 40 years have come through go-karting. Mm. Um, and for me, I still go-kart. I still race go-karts. Um, I race KZ now in open performance. My body tries to hang on, but it doesn't. <laughs> I'm not 15. <laughs> but, you know, I still love to do it. And it's still something that I just, I don't think I can ever give up. As long as I'm able to, I will. Um, it's just so much fun. It is just honestly the most fun you'll ever have 
apart from probably doing a lap at Bathurst and a BMW M3. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good that's a good um, segue then back into the production cars. But so so for the for the uneducated person, what is different on your M3 to one that you would buy off the showroom floor? I mean, are any mods allowed? Not um, much for it honestly. to go racing. So brakes are completely open. You're allowed to do whatever you want to the brakes package, as with with most forms of motorsport converting a car into a race car. Um, they, they look at that as a sort of like a safety sort of thing. So you're allowed to do whatever you want, brakes, um, suspension as well. So shocks and uh, springs, that's, you can pretty much open book. Um, but in terms of like powertrain or the gearbox diff, everything like that has to stay standard. Um, we've got, what are they called? The caliper bleeders or whatever they are that sit in the engine bay that fill up the, the, uh, the brake one. Um, you're not even allowed to put a hole in the bonnet. Like you're literally, we, we've tried doing it so we can make space for it so that we can have a bigger one in there. And um, I was literally at the workshop last week and we, we had to bloody bend the bloody bonnet out because we're not allowed to put a hole in it. We literally had to yeah. bend the bonnet. I was helping the boys with the hammer putting the bloody bonnet back. And um, it's just crazy. Yeah, they, they are, they're, they're off the road. The interior's stripped and there's a roll cage in it and there's a fuel tank in it. Honestly, other than that, it's the exact same car that you drive out the shop. Yeah. Performance-wise, they're the same. They produce the same horsepower. They have to run stock boost. Um, and yeah, hey, they're on racing tires. tires and that's it. Uh, they're, so they're an R tire, so they're actually not street legal, but the MRF, you could drive on the road and never have a problem. Like it, no. Um, no one would ever pull you over for it either. They look like a road tire. So they have they have last, tread. They last longer than a road tire. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that that it's it's a it's a really good category. Um, and I think that when you get to the level that the six hours at, it's run so well as well. Like it, it's um, it's a really uh. I don't know how, what word I've, I've lost my bloody English over the years. <laughs> but we all it, yeah, it's um, it's great. It, they they do it really well. It's all homologated. Everybody's on the same tire. In a state level, you've got lots of different tires that people can use. A lot of selection, and commonly you'll go to a racetrack and all the people you're racing against are on different tires. Um, <laughs> and but yeah, at the uh, the six hour, everybody's on the exact same tire. And the only difference, really, especially when you're in X, where there's only really two cars, it's the M3 and the M4, which are the same car. A lot of people don't yes, know models. that um there's two m2s and a commodore as well uh but as beric said already um like last week he said that uh yeah the commodore is too heavy uh so then when it comes to the fight the m2 is going to be uh it's the m2 is lighter than the m3 and the m4 the m4 and the m3 weigh just about the same i think the m4 is about 30 kilos heavier which is not much um but the m2 is a lot lighter um but it has a shorter wheelbase so it will be a little bit trickier over the top of the mountain but in a straight line the m2 will be very quick very quick so i would expect that to be the fastest car there in relation to things like pit stops how many sets of tires will you go through for the race or is it just six hours on that one set you could do six hours on one set yeah you could it's um, quite a hard compound so you could you could get away with doing if you were able to manage your tires Mm. but i would say we do it as a it's a speed based thing obviously as a tire degrades uh no matter how hard it is it obviously gets slower um so we do it to sort of keep speed there's so many safety cars in the six hour 
being that there's so many cars on the track, so it's yeah. bound to be a safety car at some point. So you sort of just put tires on it so that you've got a better set, you've got more speed so that, you know, if there's a late safety car, you've got the best chances of getting the speed out of the car. Um, and you, you go back down the grid though, the slower cars will not change tires. I'd probably say around B, around the B, the B classes. I think below that, it'd be a waste of time changing tires just because they don't sort of have the power that the the X class and the A class cars have to burn up the tires. Mm, yeah. um, like a, an 86, for an example, you'd be able to do 12 hours on one set of tires. Um, and yeah, I think we really just do it just because it's the best way to keep the speed really in the car. Um, but yeah, also just in case something is wrong with the tires. <laughs> but yeah. you've got, but they, you've got good tires. Yeah. You've got a time pit stop too, so you've got to be stopped, I think, it's for about a minute. So, you know... 90 uh, seconds. Yeah, 90 seconds. And so you, what you've got to understand is we don't we don't have a boom set up and we don't have jacks under the car and all that sort of stuff that shoots the car in the air and guys come in with rattle guns. Um, you know, they've got to run out with the jack, jack one side of the car up and, and do the tyre change that way. So And it's pretty much just with a rattle gun sort of a electric drill thing so impact driver yeah it's an impact driver so um you know it's it's time consuming thing to do so if the opportunity allows itself um you might get one side done you you wouldn't get all four of them done in a no. pizza, um if you decided to do that you'd be there for a while but um you, you, you might do one side if the time allows um at the same time you're doing a driver change as well um so that's and, with, and it's and it's 90 seconds from the when you enter the pit lane to when you exit so you've got that whole transition through the lane as well um and so yeah it's where yeah, it's um you've got the yeah so everything is you probably just do one side at a time just because it takes 90 seconds normally just for the pit stop itself so you do end up spending more time in the pit lane than what is the minimum just because you're changing the tires but i guess it's just a risk sort of thing that you got to take with the race and the strategy uh, you know, safety cars obviously play into it too. How many? Say, how, oh, sorry, sorry you mate. go. No, it's all good. It's all good. I was just going to say, I'd say probably more so in terms of strategic uh, strategy-wise, sorry, um, the fuel is probably more important, I'd say, in a six-hour endurance race. The fuel strategy, you know, man managing that fuel to perfection, um, generally about an hour on, in our cars. It's almost, it's pretty close to an hour. So we know that we can gauge sort of our driver time as per our fuel load as well. Um, it's it's pretty hard to navigate that as well, driver time and the tyres. Yeah. But altogether, it makes for a really exciting race because there's just so many different strategies going on. Um, and, and like Bolton said, you know, there's 70 cars on the grid this year, which means you're likely to have, I mean, just based on recent years, at least eight, 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 eight safety cars. Yeah. Um, so 11, 11 last year. It was 11 last year, mm. but, you know, it could be more than that because we're also seeing for the first time in two years some of these race cars going on the mountain um, or, or being used yeah. and yeah. Some cars have only just been finished. So, you know, I think reliability plays just as big a, a role in in the whole conversation. Um, There's also compulsory stops as well. Um, so X-Class, we get a penalty just because we're X. Which is strange. Yeah. Don't know why they do it. We are the, the the top class, but they do decide to try and penalise X class to bring them back towards the A's. So we get six compulsory stops, whereas every other car's four compulsory stops. 
Um, and so also something else that you guys might be interested in viewer guide as well is that you're not allowed to do anything to the car as long as fuel is going into it. So when fuel is going into the car, no one's allowed to touch the car. You're allowed to do a driver change at the same time, but that's it. Um, so as soon as fuel is done, then you jack the car up and change the tires. So if you're doing the two things at the same time, they may not work out. So, um, yeah. so when you're watching the race and you're seeing that sort of stuff happening, that's why it's just safety sort of thing. So I should make you guys PR for this race, man. You guys have sold me on this race in like five minutes. I love it. It's a great. <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did they say it was 20 uh, something 16 manufacturers and 32 different cars or something right yeah. and the great thing about production cars is that anyone can do it you can and it doesn't there's no allegiance that you need to anything it's not like you know you're buying a purpose-built race car you can go into a, a mazda dealership and buy a mazda 3 or you can go into a used car lot and grab an old camry from 04 or something like that like, mm. whatever your preference like you're a Mercedes fan. You love Mercedes. Go and buy a C63 or something, you know. Um, it's the great thing is that everybody that's there with their car have their own reasons for having that car. It's not because that's all they could get. It's because I wanted. To, oh, I always wanted to race Mercedes, so now I'm racing a Mercedes. Or yeah. uh, I've always wanted to race a BMW, so now I'm racing an M3, you know. So, And everybody has their different reasons for doing it, and some people are just going there. Uh, to have fun and enjoy something with their friends that they just love with a passion. Mm. Other people are going there to win. And it doesn't oh, matter awesome. what background you're from. I think that this race is is the best thing right now in Australian motorsport just because mm. of the level of background that comes to it and how many people with different experiences in life and in motor racing bring to the event. It's And it's just refreshing. You just mm. walk into the pit bay on the Friday morning and, everyone's smiling and talking to each other it's such a a, a great experience yeah. a great vibe i've never experienced that in my motor racing career where everybody's yeah. just so excited to be there and so happy and and it's it's just such a great place to be at that time it's really well said that. yeah sorry um so obviously you've got your bigger budget teams that you know your bmw m3s your, your a1 a2 cars that are potentially on for the outright win but there's guys up and down the grid, like Dalton said, that are there to have fun. You know, we got we got Suzuki Swifts in E-class cars. Uh, Stevie McHugh and his boys, Hoppy and that. That's um, you know, they they turn up to Queensland production cars just to have a ball, and and their budgets, you know, minuscule compared to what you know some of the other teams might be. Um, but they do it because they love it, and this class gives them an opportunity to go and do that and turn laps around Bathurst. Um, you know, and, and the speed difference between us and a BMW M3, uh, sorry, the BMW M3s and the Suzuki Swifts is 40 seconds a lap. You know, we're, we're lapping them almost, what, every three, four laps or something. I'm pretty bad at maths. That's why I drive a car, but, um, what is your, what will your, what's, um, a good lap time for your car? Sorry. SVG did a 225.8 last year for qualifying. Um, we didn't get, no one got near that during the race. I uh, think like a race pace is about a 227 mid round there. Okay. They're, they're significantly slower, but um, again, the tire, it's a very, sorry, I'm spinning on my chair. <laughs> okay. It's a very hard compound, so it slows all the cars down naturally. Uh, mid-corner speed is way down in comparison to being on something like a Michelin Slick or something that TCR or GT3s are on. Um, and 
and I think like uh, the straight line speed is obviously still there, but yeah. um, like speeds are just significantly reduced through all the corners. And so it slows the class down. Um, and I think it sort of brings everybody closer as well. If, if there was more grip to be utilized, I think that the X-Class cars would be way faster than the other cars because you don't have as much power. Obviously, the more grip you have, the more the car will bog down. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Did that should, answer your question? Should, <laughs> yeah. Should SVG be given a, like a one-hand handicap it's gonna be interesting obviously this year we've got a lot more drivers going down there a lot more supercar drivers um and yeah i think like i think it's gonna be really close honestly this year i think it's gonna be a really good race to watch oh no just gotta jump in there we um we tried to disadvantage him last year he rocked up with a broken collarbone and broken ribs (laughs) tied behind his back i think he was blindfolded for one of his things too and still got him on we actually want him fully fit because he mightn't be. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, he's obviously um, at the peak of his performance and there's a lot of great drivers rocking up on the, at the six hour as well, um, which makes it, you know, pretty challenging, but just as exciting to watch and be a part of as well. So, you know, to be able to race against guys like Will Davidson and Anton Di Pasquale, Shane Van Gisbergen at this point in our career, you know, is it's unreal. It's it's something that we probably never thought we'd ever be doing, let alone doing it this soon in a feature race at an endurance race at Bathurst, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, in my opinion, the Bathurst 1000 is going to be the pinnacle of Australian motorsport. But the Bathurst six hour has probably taken over as I'd say the second most prestigious race in Australia on an Australian motor racing calendar, just due to the interest and excitement of some of these drivers jumping on board. Well said. Um, we, obviously, endurance racing is definitely have you, there's a lot of luck that's involved. Not luck, but you need a bit of luck to go your way to obviously get the result. At the end of the day, with with everything going to plan during the race, where do you think you can end up? Is a podium a, a realistic uh, I'll let Steve answer that one. He hasn't spoken much, so I keep answering. <laughs> yeah, so right, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. Let, I'll let Steve talk about that. We all one. know what we want about this for. <laughs> yeah. I, I've always... <clears throat> I've always had a motto that I never went to Bathurst to make up the numbers. Mm. Um, and if I ever felt like that that's where my career was heading, then I was always happy to walk away from that. And my last Bathurst 1000 in 2008, um, I just honestly felt like I was there making up the numbers and hence why it was my last one. So, you know, to go to go to Bathurst, it's, it's a special place and it means everything to every Australian driver and some around the world now too, um, to want to one day, A, race at Bathurst, but B, be on the podium at Bathurst. And I've been lucky enough to be on the podium as, you know, as a place getter there three times. But nothing nothing would give me more pleasure than to stand up there with Dalton and Tristan and to do that with my boys, first, first second or third, it doesn't matter. Um, so, look, to, to answer your question, honestly, we're going to have a crack. Yeah. Um, I've never shied away from a challenge and we're not going to now. Uh, we've got good people in our, in our corner um, working strategy and that for us this weekend. And I believe that if we do our job right and we, we do things as we should, 
um, we can put ourselves there at the end of the day. And like last year, other than an inkle the problem, we were in that top three fight um, all day. Right. Yeah. Uh, the level level this year has probably gone a little bit again um, because there's so many supercar drivers driving this year. But I don't shy away from a challenge and I believe we've got the talent um, and I believe we've got the knowledge and the know-how of this car um, to get it somewhere yeah. there. And hopefully, hopefully in that last hour and 15 minutes, we're in with a shot. We've got a good car, good tyres, and we can go and give it a crack. No, the preparation too, I like to think as well. I think that we've been working really hard behind the scenes and um, in preparation for the weekend. I think we as a family have all been uh, yeah, putting in putting in the work and, and the team, obviously. Uh, the team put in so much work to get the cars ready and um, like they've got such a job right now, having four cars that they're running plus the Trans Am car. Like the work that they're putting in, the hours that they're putting in getting ready for this race, like can never be overlooked. And I don't think I ever get enough credit because... You know, you talk about racing, everybody just sees the name on the side of the door. That's the only person that really matters. But, man, I tell you right now, if we were looking after this car, there's no way it would be turning up to Bathurst because it would it would be in pieces and we'd have no idea how to put it back together. I'd, I'd rock up a little Hot Wheels car or something. <laughs> Are you telling me there's more to it than just bending the bonnet? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the only the only thing I'm good at is bending shit. Trust me. <laughs> nah, They're gonna try and bring home the chocolates. That's no, awesome. It's good to hear. It's good to hear people um, have a bit of conviction and they're willing to kind of stake their claim. I, I love that. Before we get you, before you guys go, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Transm as well because it's obviously you know another. Um, you know, endeavor that you guys have, have moved into. So, Dalton, you've didn't moved into um, Turtle Wax Trans Am this year. How have you found the transition? Um, and was there anything about the, the category that kind of took you by surprise? Honestly, the big thing uh, that's really taken me about surprise is the car and the difference between the M3. I, both of them are supremely difficult to drive. Uh, in the exception of the M3, you have a lot of assistance with the braking, uh, particularly. Um, and the Trans Am, you've got aero. So you miss something with the Trans Am, but you gain something back. And like we were taking turn one at Phillip Island at 210Ks an hour, and it's a 90 degree bend. Like it's crazy fast. Um, in an M3, I'd imagine you'd be 50K slower through there without the downforce. Like you go over the rises in the M3 and the car lifts away and you just do not get that sensation in, in a Trans Am. Like even though they're not like a GT3 car, they're, they're still on the ground and they're stuck. Um, the category is fantastically run. Um, like it, it's run so well that if we had have been in any other category and had the problems that we've had already this year, we wouldn't have completed a race. We turned up to Tasmania and we got three laps in and we had a, a complete diff failure. Um, and if it wasn't for the Trans Am guys having their trucks there and their parts and having a spare diff there, we would have never have done a single more lap that weekend. That would have been the end of our weekend before it even started. Um, we've had fairly, we had issues at Phillip Island that we had to replace. Uh, we've had a, yeah, it, it, we've had that many issues. And then the organization that they have in getting people that have crashes and everything back on track, like we've seen cars that if it was any other category, That'd be the end of their weekend. They may not yeah. even get to the next race, but they've literally managed to get their car ready for the next race the next day overnight. It's 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 a testament to how the cars are made and for how they've 
designed everything to be done but it's also for the, the category for having that preparation there and for enabling people to have access to all of these parts and all these things without having to fork out so much money to have that on hand themselves and having the space to carry it at all um and i think arg do a really good job as well of organizing the category um mm. and the weekends like it's it's first class you, you never feel like you're not going to get on track on time or like it's it's a really relaxing thing to just turn up to a racetrack and your only focus is about when you're going to be on the or not when you're going to be on the track but being in the car and mm. and i think it's a really it's a really well-run thing and i think motorsport australia do a great job with it as well um i think overall all the parts and all the components that make trans am what it is it's good and the racing is good He's got the guys at the front that are a really good benchmark. You've got Nathan Hearn at the front who was, you know, awesome last year. Like, there's no other way of saying it. Him and Seton last year put on a show multiple times. Even I remember seeing and watching the race at Sydney when uh, mm-hmm. them two and Nash were racing. And, like, it, they're, they're loud. They look fantastic. They're so presentable. Um, and they're real race cars too. And... Yeah. And I think that just it's it's a really cool category. I think you, you hear them. My first race, we missed out on a on a on a race. We had a broken wheel start, and we had to replace them all. And unfortunately, we didn't get out in time on the Sunday morning. And I remember standing on the pit wall watching them go down the back straight at Queensland Raceway, and you hear the resonating sound of those cars. Like, man, that is cool. Yeah. Like they sound like NASCARs, man. They're, yeah. they're awesome yeah. sound. I'm gonna and, add to that, standing on the um the the top level at Phillip Island and having the sound echo off the building. And then you got, I think, how many were there? 27 or 28 cars just, you know, and you're just like, Oh, this is cool. You know? And, and, and like Bolton said, they just look, look unreal and they sound fantastic. Um, and everybody for the most part has put in a lot of effort to make their cars, you know, look like real race cars, how the category should be. Um, and I actually, I, I almost wish that people in other categories took as much pride and effort into presenting the cars the way that they do in TA2 or Trans Ams, I should say. Sorry. I was going to commend you guys because your car does look mint. Like, like there's, there's, a, there, there are not many things that you can control in motorsport, but how your car is presented is one thing that you have full control over. And I always feel like if a team misses a, or if like all things considered, if you can get, um, you know, a pretty, a pretty car out there. It does nothing, uh, does no harm for your team. And I think when, um, especially in T2, so many of those cars are really good looking because that's the one thing I'm, oh, yeah. like, we're all humans and we like things that are shiny and look nice, you know? So when I, when I first saw the T2s come out, I was like, number one, these things sound awesome. The racing is super close. Um, and this was before I even knew sort of anything about the category in terms of they're all the same um, chassis, all the same engines, just different bodywork, you know, then about we, we spoke to um, Nathan and he was telling us about the, how the tires work and all that kind of stuff. But um, the present, like the show that they put on, I feel sorry for supercars if they're racing with, um, with trans Ams on the same weekend, because the sound of those things is amazing and they, and they look and they are the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really cool. think that now that they've, packaged them together with the S5000s and the TCRs, that whole package that they're now presenting on Stan Sports has a bit of everything. Um, but I think the Trans Ams are 
sort of the business of that week and they're be- they are awesome category. Yeah. I think it's growing into something too. Like even in America, it has like yeah. a, a regular base every single weekend, the Trans Ams or TA2 race there. Like they used to race TA1 and TA2, but they've become so big in America that they've had to separate the two races. TA2 gets 70 plus entrants at Sebring, I think a couple of weeks ago. Wow. And it's crazy. Like, and, and the same thing's happening here. You can't get a car in Australia. There's a yeah. bloody wait list, 30 people along. Like, um, it's it's growing into such a, a great category and the thing that's amazing about it is that it is like i mean it's not cheap you can't go and work a normal job and go and spend your weekends racing trans am like it is still expensive it's motor racing motor racing is expensive but in the spectrum of what motor racing is it's cheaper than everything else it's even remotely close to that level of performance yeah. um and yeah like like you said they they're just a package they are such a great package and I think as well, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, not Tristan, Dalton. How do you think that you can personally um, improve further in the car? You're like, I mean, obviously you've had a bit of bad luck to start the reason. You're still sitting in eighth in the championship, which which is a testament to you when you're driving. But how do you see yourself or what are you looking to do to improve and kind of get or to move further up the field over the over the course of the year? Easiest thing to say is at Philip Island, I wasn't fit enough. I made that mistake in the first race. And yeah, I lost a gearbox in the last race. But, um, you know, at the same time, I wasn't fit enough. I know that. I felt it. I felt it when I was in the car. I felt myself getting exhausted. And the focus level at that level, to be racing that level and to be making your way up forward, if you lapse for that brief second that I did, then that's what happens. And and the game is hard and those guys are good and you're racing so close and wheel to wheel and it, and it does take your concentration out and you lapse. And, and so being fit in those cars, like they don't have windows and you wouldn't believe me when I tell you, but that thing gets that hot in there. It's hotter than the M3 with the windows up. It, it is, it is an absolute sauna in that thing when you are racing, especially when you are concentrating so hard and you're sweating and not, you know, you're not, really thinking so much about your breathing and mm. you can get carried away and it can really pull you back. And if you're not fit enough, you can't do it. So mm. something that I have been working on recently is just getting fit, running more, trying as hard as I can to get my body to go further and more and trying to make sure that I can survive, not just, you know, 25 minute races, but multiple of them, plus the six hour race that I'm doing this weekend. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's, it, is very physical um and you got to have the mental strength to do it as well and um practicing making sure that your mind is right making sure that you are solely focused on what's happening on the track and nothing else around and um and yeah honestly it's uh it's something that you just got to chip away at you got to work with your team understand the cars more um figure out what does what and which changes make the car better or worse um, you know, and paying attention to what's happening around you. We've got the the great, uh, what would be the word, uh, luxury of having every single person that we're racing against in the same tent. So we get mm. to see what people are doing around us. We get to learn what changes they're making to the car and see how how they're going about it and why. You get to go out and race against them and see how that sort of those sorts of things uh, went. And so I think if for the whole thing, everybody learns something from somebody else as well. And yeah. Um, and I think it's it's yeah, really cool thing. We see two Ellery Racing Trans Ams in twenty twenty three. 
look, hope so. I know Beric's got another one on order. Um, personally, I don't know what his plans are with that um, Trans Am car, but I mean, it's natural evolution to want to grow. Um, I'd love to be able to give them the opportunity to race them. Like I said, I think they're, they're probably the coolest race cars I've ever seen, um, bar maybe F1. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the old school F1 cars going around Albert Park and probably the supercars. But, um, yeah, they're just a traditional race car. And that's what I'd love to be a part of. I reckon I'd suit the category quite well in the car. But, you know, at this point in time, I'm focused on the six-hour and I'm focused on uh, we're competing in the Australian Production Car Championship as well. So that's got all my focus at the moment. Um, you know, between the six-hour and the, the series as well, I'm going to be pretty busy doing that. Yeah. So if obviously given the opportunity to race the Trams Am, I'd, I'd absolutely love to. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, at the moment, it's actually pretty cool watching Dalton drive them. I'm I'm, I'm getting itchy. Like I want to I want to be out there and I want to I don't want to do it. I couldn't imagine how Dad's felt, you know, for the for 15 plus years that we were racing go karts. That you know he would have just oh, I want to get out there and compete. And um, you know even the first year. Dalton and I jumping back into race cars and you could see how hungry he was to get into it. So I now know what that's like from a spectator point of view, wanting to get involved. So maybe one day, maybe well, one I've got day. A, I've got a good pitch for you guys. If you run two cars, invert, um, do inverted colours. That's and what then, I said. <laughs> and then get uh, matching uh, cross earrings, I reckon. I think that's oh. how the team's got to go. <laughs> we got to get the cross earrings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could have three um, Trans Am cars and have like one, you know, the black, white, and gold, and one like gold, white, and what? black. I love it. I love it. Aesthetics is everything, boys. Aesthetics is everything. And we can really talk about who's the best seller. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to, so just to finish off, Steve. Obviously, we've spoken about your career a little bit tonight, but then you know a lot more about your sons racing and then you racing with your sons. Just, to, just to finish off, what? Like, what's the the sense of pride that you have? Obviously, seeing your your sons pursue a career that you're, or a sport that you're so passionate about, and then obviously, if and when they were to hopefully make it to supercars, if if that's a reality, I mean, what feeling would that give to you, considering how much you've put into into obviously their careers as well? Look, I, I um, um, from a personal point of view, whether I was driving or not. Um, I love standing on the side of the track and watching them and I love watching them go about their business and it, and it blows me away. It really does. <laughs> um, I used to be fast once. <laughs> I don't know what it's like <laughs> to be fast. And um, it just blows me away to watch them out there doing what they do and driving the cars how they drive them. And, um, you know, there's a sense of pride comes with that as well. Um, but uh, again, you know, as, as my answer to the the six hour before and what we're going there for, I'm, I'm not going to hide the fact that both Dalton and Tristan want to want to race supercars one day, and they want to do a Bathurst 1000. Mm. Um, so, you know, the TA2 is not an accident; it's deliberate. Um, I, I genuine genuine believe it's a starting ground and a good stepping ground into a V8. Um, they don't have the 640 horsepower that a supercar does, but, you know, they have about 540, I think it is, um, and they're four-speed, so they're a bit different. But at the same time, they're a V8, they're fast, they're, they're heavy, 
and they teach you how to drive a car that style. Um, the front under trays, you know, that's that's got a decent little lip on the bottom of it. So there's a bit of aero there. There's a bit of aero at the back. Um, so it certainly gives them the grounding that if they ever get an opportunity to go and have a test in a Super 2 car or a supercar or something like that, it'll give them the grounding to go there and be able to drive that car properly and, and give the test what it's supposed to be and to put their name um, on the Australian landscape. So, you know, I think, I think most people in Australian motorsport know who Dalton and Tristan are. Um, but it's time for them now to grow as drivers and show them that they've got the goods, um, they're reliable, they're fast enough, and that they can take that step into supercars. And whether that is full-time super, super 2 driving, whether it's full-time supercar driving, or whether it's just a, a um, co-drive at the 1,000, um, that's, that's the goal. And uh, look, I'm proud of them no matter what they do. As Dalton said before, everything can end tomorrow as well. So to me, the pride is seeing them out there doing what they love and seeing them smiling and enjoying themselves and loving it. But if they made the, the 1,000 grid one day, then that would be the ultimate, the ultimate prize. It's, it's the ultimate prize in Australian motorsport and one of the most ultimate prizes in the world. So it's not easy to get there, um, but we're giving it a crack. That's awesome to hear. Steve, Dalton, Tristan, thanks for – we really appreciate, obviously, the amount of time that you spent talking to us tonight. We're pushing 90 minutes. Um, <laughs> anytime, anytime appreciate we appreciate you guys uh, giving, having patience and letting us. I was just No, like, like it's always good oh, when you've got people that are willing to talk. I mean, we, <laughs> we could go on and on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's always the – that's the beauty of a good conversation, really. I mean, obviously, really, the amount of, like, how candidly you've spoken about obviously the challenges and the realities of the sport, but then also, you know, the the stakes to the claim of, you know, what you want to achieve in the sport. It's really refreshing. I mean, obviously, not obviously, but there's a lot of people that these days will kind of say, oh, you know, if everything works, this is what might, this might be what we're able to achieve. But, you know, really am impressed with everything that you've said tonight and particularly with the, um, the six hours this weekend, we wish you all the best. To obviously go out there and, and to achieve the goal that you want to do that you want to as a family, uh, and moving forward as as Ellery Racing and your progression, hopefully up the ranks. Um, you've definitely got a few more fans tonight, um, so we wish you the best of luck moving forward. Oh. And, and thank you so much for your time. Ah, oh, thank you, thank you, and the Racing Line podcast for having us as well. Um, you boys have been awesome, great hosts, and you know we love tuning in and listening in. So. I think you're gaining, you know, three more fans and however more we, we bring as well. So, awesome. um, yeah, we're so grateful for having us on. I mean, for us, when we sort of started this whole idea of having this podcast, we just wanted to sort of share some, like, real stories of Australian motorsport that don't really hear, like sort of yeah. the stuff away from the glitz and glamour of supercars, something a bit more real. And um, with, with nights like this where we get to talk to you and you take us into sort of your lives, your family dynamic, like we can see you guys sort of bantering with each other, which is number one what we live for anyway. Um, but like for you guys to share that with, with us is really special. And uh, we wish you nothing but the best for the weekend. I'll actually be watching, I will be watching something that I didn't expect to be watching now this Easter, which is um, awesome. So thank you guys very much. Six hours of Bathurst at Easter. What Exactly. Thank right. you guys. Appreciate it. Have a great night. Cheers. Thanks, Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys.